0: You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Lauren Scott, and I'm interviewing Dr. Samuel Whitchum, author of the Encyclopedia of Confederate Generals. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Uh, You're welcome.
0: I first want to ask, out of all the generals in U.S. history you could have written about, why did you choose Confederate generals?
1: Well, uh, my first 30-odd books were about the German Wehrmacht in World War II. Um, but um, I'm um, of Southern heritage, and uh, um, I didn't like the monuments being torn down, so I decided to uh, research and uh, write books about them. I wrote tough. Uh, first book was about Richard Taylor and the Red River Campaign. I've written books on Nathan Bedford Forrest, and uh, uh, the, the last really good book on Confederate generals, and uh, it was single volume, was uh, by Ezra Warner. Uh, but it was only about eighty thousand words, and um, my book uh, is two hundred fifty-two thousand words. Uh, So if you don't like the reading, you can always use it as a doorstop. Mm -hmm. Um, It was fun. I I felt it was needed. And um, I initially intended for it to be uh, a multi-volume. But uh, uh, Regnery History um, wanted to do a single volume, and 250,000 words is about the maximum you can do Uh, a single volume. Um, uh, Incidentally, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, that's how uh, editors tell the difference between professionals and amateurs. An amateur will tell them how many pages a book is. Uh, Professionals always use words. Um, Because when you tell me that you've got a book of 200 pages, you really haven't told me anything. Because uh, if you use 10-point uh, font and single-spaced, uh, you're going to have uh, over 600 words per page. Whereas if you use 14 font and uh, double-spaced, uh, you're going to have less than 250 words. Uh, so uh, anyway, that's why I did it. I, um, I felt it needed to be done, and... Um, um, and it was fun. Um uh, I felt everybody knows about the Robert E. Lee's and the Stonewall Jacksons and the Jeb Stewarts. But um, you know, other generals uh are more obscure, people like uh Stove, Pipe, Johnson or uh Zebulon York, uh, two of my favorites. Um, uh, they they've been forgotten by um uh, history uh, Thought I would stir up their memory some.
0: Why did the Confederate generals fight in the Civil War? Were they fighting out of loyalty to their state, or was it for the cause of slavery, or maybe something else?
1: Well, uh, it really depends on the general. I'm sure some of them, uh, slavery was a factor. I don't think any of them fought just to protect slavery. But, uh, you know, they would fight to protect Mississippi or Virginia, you know, like Robert E. Lee. He, uh, he opposed. It's ironic that many people look upon him as a symbol of both secession and slavery when he opposed both uh, slavery and secession. Um, Deb Stewart wanted to abolish slavery. He, had, he owned one slave for one day. Um, uh, he um, got married, and uh, as a wedding present, uh, his father-in-law gave him and his wife each a slave. Well, uh, uh, he and his wife uh, both freed their slaves the next day. And it's one of the ironies of history that uh, the, the father-in-law who gave him the slaves was George uh, St. Philip Cook, uh, who later uh, commanded the Union cavalry in the uh, Peninsula campaign against Jeb Stuart, and uh, had the indignity of being whipped by his son-in-law. Um, others, uh, um, you know, wanted um, uh, the government, uh, as promised by the uh, Founding Fathers, uh, the old Jeffersonian model of uh, governs least, which governs governs best, which governs least, and um, the uh, uh, Lincoln uh, was basically the personification of the old Hamilton model of a strong uh, central government uh, with a great deal more powers than uh, the uh, states' rights people were willing to grant him in 1861. Um, like I say, it's, uh, highly varied. Um, there were, there were several causes.
0: You mentioned you have a few favorite Confederate generals. Who are your favorites and why?
1: Okay, Um uh, well, my favorite, I suppose, was Richard Montgomery Gano. Uh, he was, uh, all his, um uh, uh, Great grandfather was the fighting chaplain of the American Army in the Revolutionary War. Um, uh, he uh, baptized George Washington in the Potomac River, and later Washington asked him to end the Revolutionary War uh, with a prayer. Uh, Gano's grandfather was a uh, major. It was a brigadier general in the War of 1812. Uh, Gano's father was a leader in the Restoration Movement of Christianity in America. He baptized 10,000 people. And uh, Richard Gano himself uh, uh, initially was a physician, but um, after the war he became a a preacher and baptized at least 4,000 people, and uh, one source said 10,000 people but in the process uh, created quite a record as a Confederate general. He fought 72 engagements and 168 of them, mostly in Arkansas and Indian territory. And, um, he was one of those rare men who was a success at whatever he did. Uh, uh he set up a cattle ranch after the war and expanded it to 55,000 acres. It's bigger than a lot of counties. And, um, Um, uh, became a millionaire by 1880 in 1880 dollars not the degraded currency we have today and um, he was a great grandfather of uh, a man you probably heard of uh, Howard Hughes the aviation pioneer and the eccentric billionaire Uh, Hughes didn't live up to the morally pristine reputation of his uh, great grandfather but uh, yeah. kind of like, uh, General Gaino. Uh, I wrote a book on Nathan Bedford Forrest. Uh, he was interesting. Uh, I admire him as a general, but I mean, um, I wouldn't want him as a neighbor necessarily, but, uh, uh, he rose from private to lieutenant general in four years and won some incredible victories and, uh, personally killed 30 Yankees in one-on-one combat. Um, uh, he got a thrill out of the actual fighting. Uh, he didn't like the war, but he, uh, you know, in one of his recruiting advertisements said, uh, come on, boys, let's have some fun and kill some Yankees. And he meant that. He uh, he got a kick out of the actual combat. One local general here, uh, probably never heard of, his name was Zebulon York, Well, he was from Maine. He was from so far up north that you could almost see Canada from his hometown. Right on the Canadian border, in northern Maine. He went to Kentucky for an education. Uh, Somehow ended up in Vidalia, Louisiana. And um, bought a plantation and another one and another one. And he and his partner owned 1,500 slaves by the time the war started. Matter of fact, the person that did as a bit he was very a uh, very good reporter. He interviewed some of his ex-slaves. Uh, and so they told him that um, any one of uh, York's overseers who beat a slave would be fired. Uh, he treated them very well, and they appreciated it. But um, he raised a regiment. He could afford it. He paid more taxes than anybody in the state of Louisiana the year before the war. But he would only accept a rank of captain, because he'd never served in the military and didn't know much about it. Although his uh, great-grandfather had been an aide to George Washington during the Revolution, was present with him at Yorktown. And um, um, York moved up strictly by attrition. Uh, everybody above him got critically wounded or killed, and he uh, he became a uh, brigadier general. And um, what really got my attention was his uh, conduct in the Third Battle of Winchester. Uh, His arm was shredded by Union Shrapnel. Uh, Ironically enough, it was fired by the 1st Main Battalion. And uh, they took him to the hospital and amputated his arm. And uh, the Confederates were defeated at 3rd Winchester, and the Rebel Army was in retreat by the hospital. And a friend of his uh, from Winchester said, come to my home, we'll put you in bed, and the Yankees won't disturb you until you've recovered enough to be moved to a Union uh, uh, prisoner of war camp. And York said, "Uh, no, I will not. The the Yankees will never take me alive. And he got on a horse and said words to the effect of, tell the Yankees they can keep the arm, And then he rode over 20 miles to the nearest uh, Confederate medical facility. Um, If you can lose an arm and an hour later ride 20 miles on a horse, uh, you're a man's man. He he was. (laughs) And uh, um, he survived the war and eventually partially rebuilt rebuilt his fortune. Um, He was interesting. Anyway... uh, I cover roughly, say, the, the major generals, but also getting the some you probably never heard of. And uh, some of them were more interesting than some of the more prominent ones.
0: You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Lauren Scott, and I'm interviewing Dr. Samuel Witchum, author of the Encyclopedia of Confederate Generals. Dr. Witchum is talking about some of his favorite generals who fought for the South.
1: The one I really admired was uh, Stovepipe Johnson. uh, Uh, He went to Texas, became an Indian fighter, a stagecoach driver, entered the Army as a private under Nathan Bedford Forrest. They called him Stovepipe because he uh, was the first uh, rebel general to take a Union town. It was Newberry, uh, Indiana. And a Newburgh. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Newburgh. it was defended by 2,000 Yankees, and um, Johnson only had 12 men, um, but the Yankees didn't have any artillery. Of course, neither did Johnson, but he, uh, he took stovepipes and mounted them on the running uh, gear of uh, abandoned wagons. So uh, the Yankees looked out and saw these uh, stovepipes. They thought they were cannon at, at that distance. So they evacuated the town, um, which uh, you know, was a really interesting uh, victory for the South because uh, a dozen Confederates are supposed to uh, force 2,000 Yankees to evacuate the town. And uh, Johnson became famous throughout America and uh, Europe for this feat. And uh, he won some great victories in Kentucky as a guerrilla leader. But his laughing was near Princeton, Kentucky, where he was accidentally shot by his own men. And uh, one, uh, the uh, musket ball uh, destroyed both his eyes. He was totally blind from then on in. Uh, he was only 30 years old. And uh, especially in those days, that would have uh, destroyed many people. It would destroy many people today, lose their sight. But Johnson had the right attitude. He was a very cheerful person, very positive, and he refused to let his handicap be a handicap. He lived another 58 years and um, uh, went back to Texas and uh, set up several profitable businesses. He was a pioneer in uh, er uh, establishing irrigation along the Colorado River and founded uh, the city of Marble Falls, Texas. Uh, he's buried uh, uh, on Republic Hill, uh, where Texas buries its heroes in Austin, Texas, not far uh, from the grave of Stephen F. Austin. And I thought he was inspirational. And he uh, also fathered uh, nine children, so uh, he re- uh, blindness didn't end his life. He uh, had a very good attitude.
0: How do the southern generals compare to the northern generals as far as skill and endurance?
1: Especially early in the war, they were better. But they were better by a matter of degrees, not orders of magnitude. Um, both sides were plagued by political generals, but I think the north more so, because Abraham Lincoln was a politician and Jefferson Davis uh, was... A politician, too, but he had graduated from West Point. Uh, he uh, was a war hero in the Mexican War where he commanded the first Mississippi Rifles and saved the uh, Zachary Taylor's army from the Mexicans. Uh, he had uh, been Secretary of War for four years under Franklin Pierce. Uh, Jefferson Davis knew his business and uh, especially early on, Abraham Lincoln frankly did not. Lincoln, uh, uh, total military service was less than 90 days during the Black Hawk War, and all he accomplished was uh, getting demoted from captain to private. Uh, Lincoln, frankly, was a military illiterate. Jefferson Davis also fought in the Black Hawk War, where Davis and Lincoln first met. Uh, Davis was a second lieutenant, fresh out of West. He made one combat patrol. Personally, captured Chief Black Hawk and ended the war. Um, Lincoln um, hired more political generals of higher rank than did Davis, and uh, that hurt the uh, Union cause. Um, oh, his secretary, first secretary of war, was a uh, man named uh, Cameron. Uh, um, Pennsylvania politician uh, who uh, passed out contracts on the basis of favoritism, hired on the basis of political cronyism. Uh, Lincoln himself once uh, Riley commented that uh, he thought Cameron was a crook, but uh, he did not believe that he would steal a red-hot stove. Uh, And uh, so the North got off to a bad start uh, with Cameron as Secretary of War. And he was just Lincoln's Secretary of War from March uh, 1861 to January of 1862. It was a bad start for the North. Now, Jefferson Davis was anything but perfect. I mean, he made some mistakes. Um, he was a bit of an oversupervisor, so it really... Didn't matter a lot who the Secretary of War was. He was basically a clerk for Jefferson Davis anyway. And uh, uh, Davis's worst mistake was uh, hiring a, uh, 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 uh Floyd, uh, General F- uh, John Floyd, as uh, uh, commander. Uh, promoting him. Uh, Floyd is the one that surrendered uh, Fort Donelson when it was unnecessary. It cost South 12,000 men, which they desperately needed. In fact, uh, in one of my books, I state that uh, if those 12,000 men had been present at Shiloh, uh, Grant's army may well have been destroyed. It was almost, it was down to its last trench anyway. Uh but uh, Floyd, uh, Davis eventually fired him. That was the worst appointment he ever made as a field commander. But Lincoln, um, Lincoln made a lot more, and uh, it hurt the northern cause.
0: In a time of great controversy surrounding this topic, how should we view the Confederate generals today?
1: Well, one thing we can't do is judge them by today's standards. They didn't live today. Um... A lot of uh, people uh, engage in what, uh, a, a historic sin, which historians call presentism. That's uh, attempting to hold people of the past to today's standards. Um, that's an invalid way to look at it, because you don't live your life that way. You do not live from uh, the present to your past. You live from your present to your future. And, you know, um, people change over time. You were not the same person you were you know, when you were six. And uh, uh, these people grew up, uh, slavery was acceptable, and uh, they gradually they were weaning themselves from it. you kind of got to look at them that way. If you read the newspapers of the day, um, they predict that slavery will eventually uh, die of natural causes and it was it was true uh... slavery died in over a hundred different countries and territories without a civil war uh... the only place a uh, civil war occurred uh... was haiti in the united states i don't think um... i don't think it was necessary I also think that uh, statesmen uh, are kind of cyclic. Uh, at, at certain points in our history, we've been blessed with great statesmen, like the, the American Revolution. There were some uh, awesome people there. Um, Civil War, much less so. Um, there aren't many, um, many great leaders I don't know. I think we may be on a down cycle today. Um, but um, the war was avoidable. If we had had uh, statesmen, uh, enough statesmen with enough statue, I think we could have avoided the war.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Wicham. That's actually all the questions I have for you.
1: Well, sure. And the best of luck in your history career.
0: Our guest has been Dr. Samuel Wicham, author of the Encyclopedia of Confederate Generals. My name is Lauren Scott, and you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.